Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 reads, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave John, who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ and all he saw. The one who reads this is blessed. Those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. I want to remind you of the context. We went over it a couple of weeks ago. Um, Rome, their unrighteous culture of innate depravity, murderous rule, the Greco-Roman polyistic worship of Zeus and Poseidon and all those gods, all those ancient gods, their uninhibited, brutal persecution of the followers of Christ, the followers of the way. That's the context of what's going on. That's the context of John as he was writing this letter. You know, when he, when he wrote this, it was written during the third decade of persecution of the church. When John was writing this, it has been about three decades, about 30 years of, of Christian persecution over and over and over and over again. So if we see Jesus' death about 33 AD, he died, buried, rose again, went back to heaven. Following that, we're looking at when all his disciples, when we had 12 disciples, when they were murdered, when they were assassinated for Christ, for following Christ, for telling others about Christ, for being a Christian. You see around 42 AD, James was killed. Herod came, took a sword, chopped his head off. Why? Because he was talking about this Jesus guy. He was worshiping this Jesus guy. He was telling others about Jesus. You get to around 54 AD, somewhere around there, Philip killed, murdered. Peter around 60 AD. Peter, Jesus' boy, ready to fight all the time. Peter was killed. You see James, Paul, we know about Nero came and he chopped Paul's head off. Around 70 AD, the rest of them were taken out. All Jesus' disciples were taken out. And we get to where John is writing this book of Revelation right now. It's around 92, 93 AD. The church had been through this. Their leaders, these were the guys who walked with Jesus. These were guys who was teaching them, who were showing them, who were instructing them. Thousands and thousands of people were getting saved. And the government was killing them. Imagine, I want you to get in the mind frame. Imagine that we're watching the news and we, we see that Billy Graham, when he was still alive, Billy Graham, they, they went into a church, dragged Billy Graham out, and shot him in the middle of the street for preaching the gospel. Charles Stanley, Tony Evans, we're watching his shows, watching his preaching on the TV. FBI come in, drag him out, kill him. Imagine that. Imagine El Cavario. And the government walks into El Cavario and says, Pastor Nino, we told you to stop preaching about this Jesus guy. We gave you warning after warning after warning. Drag him out in the middle of the street, put a bullet in his head. That's what was going on. The leaders of the church were being killed. And not only the leaders, they were doing that to the leaders, family members, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, children. We were... <laughs> We felt some kind of way when they told us at the center that they didn't want us to bring their speakers, our speakers, and our instruments. We felt kind of, well, that's messed up. 
But imagine we're worshiping, and then they walk in, and they say, okay, we got one question for y'all. How many here in this Claremont room will claim the name of Jesus? We want to tell you, if you claim the name of Jesus, we're going to shoot you right now. Jaji just got a job. They were going out to jobs and saying, by the way, do you worship Jesus? You have to say, we worship Caesar. I can't say that. I worship Jesus. Okay, you're fired. I got a family to feed. Tough luck. This was going on at the time that John is writing this. And by the way, the worst was yet to come. It was going to get, it was going to get insane. History tells us that around 300 AD was the most bloodiest official persecution of the church during that time. And so we, we, we have the revelation that God gave John. And we're told to study it. It was written for a reason. What, what it was not written for, I'm going to give you a list of things that it was not written for. Revelations, Revelation, the main purpose of Revelation was not for a clear understanding or detailed play-by-play description of the end times. That's not why God gave John this revelation. Revelation was not written to give us reference materials or hidden codes or secret messages or ammunition to able to prove whatever our end-time eschatology is. It's not what it was written. It wasn't written to help us calculate the exact date that Jesus was going to come back. Well, if you look here, it says seven days. And if you put back here, it says 3.2 and a half. So if you add that, that's not why it was written. It wasn't written to confuse us. It wasn't written to scare us into salvation. The first time, second time, third time, fourth times. It wasn't written for modern-day America to be able to interpret what we see going on on CNN. You seen those Christians? Oh, you saw what happened on the news today. You know what that means. Yeah, they, they just, oh, they, they just legalized same-sex marriage. Oh, that means Jesus is coming back. Really? Oh, they just, they just, oh, Lord have mercy, we just elected a vulgar, womanizing, adulterous, racist liar as president. He's probably the Antichrist. So you know what that means. Revelations. Jesus is on his way back. Really? I mean, he might be. But think about the things that we look at and say, oh, it's getting hard out here for us Christians. And think about what they were going through in the first century. In our century, right now, because of the faith, there were over 2,000 churches that were attacked or closed, not because their music was too loud, not because somebody had a microphone and two speakers face-to-face and was screaming at the top of his lungs. That's not why they were closed. They were closed because they were preaching the word of God. 2,000. More than 100,000 Christians were told to get out of their house, their house, their home, were forced to leave their house, not because of disobedience, not because of crimes, but because they would not vow to anyone other than Jesus Christ. That's happening today. These are 2023 numbers. About 360 million Christians live today in nations with higher discrimination. They say that's one out of seven. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Out of us right here, 
Let's say we were all the Christians. One of us is going through extreme persecution for believing in Jesus Christ. It's one in seven. That's a little bit more than the president is, the president is doing. A little bit more than the laws that they're passing. A little bit more than pronouns that they're showing at work. It's a little bit more than that. And so what we have to do is understand the context as John wrote this and look and say, why did he write this? What was the purpose of this? The purpose of the book was to do a couple of things. First, he wrote it to them who were going through that persecution, who were watching their leaders die. He wrote it to give them power for endurance for what they were specifically going to in real time in the first century. That's called grace. Grace is the power to do what we need to do in the circumstances that we're in. He also wrote it to comfort them in endurance. As they were going through that suffering, as they were going through that pain, as they were watching their families being torn apart, as they were getting murdered, as they were getting fed to lions, as they were getting burned at the stake, as they were getting their heads chopped off, John wrote this to give them comfort during that time. That's peace. You see that in verse 4. He said, grace and peace to you from the one who was, who is, and who is to come. John wrote this to show the almighty King Jesus was in charge from the beginning. He's in charge now, and he will forever be in charge. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing. It's showing Jesus Christ. Now, the, what makes that significant is that if you were a first century Christian during that time, Walking around, you would see the Roman statues and the, the statue of the gods, and you'll see the Roman architect, and you would see the Roman soldiers walking around, and you see the people giving off incense and worshiping Caesar, and you would see Christians being dragged in the street, and you would see Christians out begging for food because they lost their job. You would see bodies of Christians laying in the street naked because they would not worship Caesar. You would see that, and you would think, don't seem like God is in charge. Doesn't seem like Jesus is in charge because everything around me shows me that Rome is in charge. Everything around me shows me that somebody else is in charge. But God sent John this revelation to let the people know that I, Jesus, I am still king. I am almighty and I'm in charge. That's why the book was written. The, the, the book was written to instruct those Christians, how to live an uncompromising, godly, righteous life in the middle of what was going on in Rome. You see, it was a choice of pleasure or pain. You could live in your house, buy, go to the store and buy food, hang out with your friends, not die, <laughs> or you could be killed. You could be persecuted. You could be stripped of your job. You could be stripped of your house. You could be stripped of your social status. Because you wouldn't say, I worship Caesar. You say, I worship Jesus Christ. It was a choice. And so it was easy. I don't want to say easy. It was tempting. It was tempting to follow the culture. It was tempting to do what everyone else was doing because my goodness, they were living, they were breathing. 
Their parents were being dragged in the streets. Their brothers and sisters wouldn't be tied to poles and tar poured on them and lit up like candles in the night. That wasn't happening to those people. So why don't I just say, okay, I worship Caesar. Okay, I will obey the government. Okay, I'll do whatever it needs to do so I won't die. God sent John the message to tell the people to endure, do not compromise, do not follow the world system that you're living in, continue to worship and stand firm in the faith. John wrote this for those Christians right then. And what he was telling them is that God will give you grace and power and comfort you in the pain, in the suffering, in whatever you're going through right now. God will give you grace and power right now. He will help you endure right now. He will comfort you right now because he is king and all-powerful right now. It wasn't written for us 2,000 years later to calculate when Jesus is coming back. What good would they be for them? Their mother's getting dragged out the street and killed. What's the letter that John sent today? Oh, if you take the two and carry the one, that means in 3007, Jesus is going to come back. Yay. No. That did nothing for me right now. I'm watching my family die. I'm watching my family not be able to feed my family. I'm watching... Emperor after emperor after emperor kill more and more and more of us because we follow Christ. John wrote this. God gave him the message for those people right then, said comfort and grace and peace is for you today and power is for you today in the midst of whatever you're going through. Not only was it written for them, it was also written for us. It was written to them, also written for us. To let us know that when I go through hard times, when I go through suffering, when I go through pain, when I go through confusion, when I go through sadness, when I go through anxiety, when I go through suffering, Jesus is still in charge. He's still almighty. He's still in control. Though it might not look like it. Though I walk out in my life and I see the things that trigger my anxiety. Though I walk out in life and I see the things that trigger those bad memories. Do I walk out in life and I've got this pain, i got this suffering? Though I'm walking and I'm seeing my finances not how it should be, my friends aren't like they should be, my family not acting right. I see that. Just like they saw the Roman statues. And the... I see I'm living in this. Revelation tells me that even in the midst of whatever I'm going through, God is still in charge and he is controlled and he is on the throne and he's running it. It was written to encourage us, to give us the power we need to continue to live day to day while the statues of anxiety and the statues of pain, the statues of suffering are all around us. It was written to give me, comfort me as I walk through the hard times. I can go to Revelation and see the unveiling of what's going on. Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt like, God, where are you? Have you ever felt like I'm going through something, you thought, you know what, I don't feel God's presence here. It, it, it seems as though evil is winning. It seems as though pain is winning. 
It seems as though suffering is winning and God is absent. Think about those folks in Rome who were going around. It didn't feel like Jesus was in charge because they looked and it looked like Rome was in charge. They picked up the money and they saw pictures of Caesar. They saw statues of Caesar. In order to go to the mall, they had to first pick up some incense and offer a sacrifice to Caesar. So to them, it looked like their surroundings, their environment looked like this pain and suffering and this evil's in charge. Sometimes we feel like that. Have you ever get caught up in all the things that seem, and you seem like you've been in all the things too long? All things. You know the verse that says, all things work together for the good? Sometimes we get caught in all things. It's all things that's happening. It's this pain, this suffering, this financial issue. I ain't got no money. My parents not acting right. My kids not acting right. The all things. Sometimes we get caught up in the all things and we're waiting for this. When is the working out for my good going to show up? <laughs> I got another surgery. Are you serious? Another surgery? We had the first one. Praise God, we made it. Then we had the second one. Okay, but God, you can take these ulcers and just sew them up right now. We got another surgery? A third surgery? I know you said all things work together for the good, but how many all things do I got to go through? What is happening? What Revelation does, remember Revelations means the revealing. It means the pulling back the curtain. What Revelation does is it pulls back the curtain and it reveals what God is doing. It reveals what heaven is doing. It reveals what Jesus is doing behind the scenes. That part that we can't see. It shows what the Holy Spirit is doing. And it shows the working out for my good peace that Paul was talking about. This unveiling by, by, by John, by, by, by God pulling out, pulling away the curtains. It shows what God really sees and what God was really doing during that time and during our time now. And it provides confidence that God's intended purpose, his will, will come to reality because he is almighty, he is all-powerful, and he is working. And so God said, you know what? Those people in the first century, they're going through so much. Let me... Let me pull back the curtain. Let me show them what's really happening. Let me show them what I'm really doing as they watch their family members being dragged out into the street. Let me show them what I'm really doing as they watch their pastor's heads being chopped off and rolling in the street. Let me show them what's going on so that they can have the grace, verse 4. They can have the peace. Verse 4, and they will not compromise because it was so easy, so tempting to compromise. You know what? I'm tired of all this diet. I'm tired of this. I'm just going to come over here and follow the culture. I'm going to do what the world is doing. My goodness. God gave Jesus the revelation. Jesus picked an angel and said, hey, go take this to John. And so while John was on the island of Patmos, he gets it. That brings us to verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his, my Bible says, his slaves or his servants 
What must quickly take place? What must soon take place? It's interesting. We talked about the type of book that uh, uh, um, Revelation is. I want you to remember a constant theme. Revelation is from heaven's point of view. Okay? Revelation is from heaven's point of view. We see things from our point of view. A lot of books were written from the apostles' point of view. The book of John that we just went through. John wrote what he saw. So it was from his point of view. Revelation is from God's point of view. It's from God's vantage point. It's as if there's a reporter in heaven saying live and direct from heaven, this is Kathy Smiley. And I'm here in heaven broadcasting to you what's going on on earth. And so everything we read in Revelation, you have to interpret it from heaven's perspective. Everybody got that? So the first verse says, to show those things which are soon to take place. Now, from our earthly perspective, we see the word soon and we think what? Soon. Like tomorrow. Like in a few minutes. Like I hope Olu finishes this message soon. But this book is not written from earth's perspective. It's written from heaven's perspective. And so soon, from heaven's perspective, is obviously not the soon that we think of. How do I know that? Well, John received this in 93 AD. It is now 2023 AD. I would not count 2,000 years as soon. Oh, by the way, he's still not here. These things haven't. And so soon must mean something from a biblical perspective. Well, let's look at that word. That word soon from the perspective of heaven. By the way, it's the same word. Hold your finger there. Go back to Romans chapter 16. I want you to, we're going to be doing a lot of back and forth. I like interpreting what the Bible says by looking at what the Bible says. So Romans chapter 16, this is Paul talking. He's writing to the church actually in Rome. <laughs> in verse 20, he said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He wrote that before John wrote this. He said, the God, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. He said that while they were getting dragged in the street. He said that while they were getting persecuted. Years and years later, John is saying the same thing. This stuff is soon to take place. So soon... When we look at that word, the Greek word there is takchai, taki, T-A-C-H-E-I. And that word refers to the speed in which an event approaches, not necessarily the time. Tick, 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 tick. What John is saying is that there was an event that took place that set a bunch of events in motion. That event that took place was Jesus' death, burial, his resurrection, as in his ascension into heaven. You remember when he went into heaven, the angel said, why stand you here looking at heaven? The same Jesus who went up will come back the same way. He'll come down the same way he went up. When Jesus left, why did Jesus leave? What did he say? I go to, remember, prepare a place for you. So that where I am, you will be also. 
When Jesus left, that started off a chain of events for Christ to become king, all king, almighty here on this earth and to rule this earth. John said the revelation was sent to him to tell about these things were assumed to take place. It's time. It's time. Not talking about tick, 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 30 seconds, two minutes, five years. No, but it's time. It's coming. It's on its way. The events have been set in motion. It's been prophesied, but now is the time. He said, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his servant, John. Daniel chapter 2. I want to show you what John was referring to when he said the word signify or communicated or made known. The book of Revelation has several allusions back to the Old Testament. And Daniel is one of those books. You know, in Daniel, we've got the prophecy of the statue. We have the prophecy of the beasts coming out of the sea. Babylon was in charge. The king of Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. He saw this statue, this huge statue, had a head of gold, chest of silver, bronze, thighs, clay feet. And the statue was tall and was walking in the dream. And all of a sudden, a small rock grew up, grew up, grew up, grew up, and came and was thrown at the statue and destroyed the statue. And the rock hit the ground, and the rock became a mountain. And he was like, what is this dream I've had? So we called his dream interpreters. That's how you are. When you're king, you can have dream interpreters. And he called him, he said, I don't understand this dream. And his dream interpreters couldn't tell him what the dream was. And then somebody said, hey, it's this guy who's a Hebrew, one of the Jews that we captured and stole him away from his family. He, he, he can interpret dreams. And he brought him to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse, chapter 2, verse 45, he used the same word that John uses in chapter 1, when he says to signify the things, the word signify there has to do with showing, interpreting something as a sign, as a symbol, or as a mark. What he's saying was that this dream you saw, God gave you this dream, and you saw this statue walking. It's not about the statue walking. It's not about the rock destroying the statue. The statue represents something that's actually going to happen on earth that I want you to understand. And so as Nebuchadnezzar had a statue that needed to be interpreted because it was a sign of something that was actually going to happen on the earth, John said that what God showed him were signs of things that would be interpreted as actions that actually happened on earth. When Daniel, when God showed Daniel those beasts coming out of the sea, there weren't beasts coming out of the sea in real life. That was a vision he had because those beasts represented something that was actually going to happen on earth. That same word is what John uses in John chapter 1 that Daniel used. And what John said was, God has showed me some things. And I am going to signify it through his angel. So the things that I'm about to see in this vision are to be interpreted 
to things that are actually going to happen on earth. So when we look at the dreams and the visions that Daniel had, the statue signifies or symbolizes something. We know the statue symbolizes the kingdoms that were going to come later. What John is saying here is that the things that he saw signifies something that is going to happen here on earth. Again, coming from heaven's point of view. Now, what's also interesting is not only does Revelation show heaven's point of view and it pulls back the curtain and you actually see what God is doing and how God is working. In the pulling back of the curtain, God also showed Satan. And he showed what Satan was doing during the time. When you read Revelations, you'll see things like there's this dragon. There's this dragon in the sky, and a woman gives birth to a baby, and the dragon is sitting by wanting to devour the baby. But the baby gets snatched up. And so the dragon spends the rest of his time pursuing the woman and trying to destroy this woman. John sees this vision. Now, does that mean that there's going to be a woman in the sky and a woman going to give birth and then we're going to see a dragon come in the sky and try to eat the woman? No. Why? Because it signifies. What John saw signifies, represented something. The dragon is Satan. And in the revelation, in the unveiling, God showed them who was really doing this evil things that they saw. And he represented Satan as a dragon. And we saw that the dragon job, purpose, was to pursue this woman. This woman represented the church, God-fearing people. And so as you're going through this persecution, understand that there's a force of evil behind what you're going through. It's called the devil. And the Bible says that he has three missions, to seek, to kill, and destroy. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to destroy you, and he's trying to kill you every second you're breathing. What Revelation did, it pulled back the curtain and allowed them to see it. Oh, I'm looking at Rome thinking that they're the bad guy, but it's a badder guy more than Rome. It's not Rome. It's not Babylon. It's not the Egyptians. It's not my boss. It's not my mom. It's not my enemy. There's an evil force who's bent on destroying me. Revelation pulled back the curtain and saw that. John said, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what he must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his servant John, who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ in all he saw. This tells us what John told us. The Bible said two things, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Everything that John saw was the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. What Jesus said the people of the first century needed as they were getting heads chopped off, fed to lions, put into 
the animals were killed and they cut the animal open and take out the guts, put the person in, sew the animal back up and throw it to the lions. As that was happening, Jesus said, what these people need to know is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word of God, God has something to say. Whenever we look at prophecy, remember, John, the book of Revelation is also a prophetic book. Whenever we look at prophecy, God has something to say. God has something to say to those people who was going through that pain and suffering, just like God has something to say to you today. As you go through your pain, your suffering, your hard times, your difficult times, as you go through your confusion, God has something to say to you. He wants to say something to you. And so he's giving us a message. That message comes through the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Whenever we see prophecy, and you can go back to old prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, remember there are two types of prophecy. Prophecy is foretelling and forthtelling. Right now I'm prophesying. I am telling you what God said. That's foretelling. Foretelling is telling you some things that's going to happen in the future. Whenever we see prophecy in the Old Testament, the focus is not really on the future event. Watch me now. The focus on what God is saying today based on the future. When you look at the prophecy, um, let me think of a prophecy, think of a prophecy. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was prophesying while the people were in Babylon. They had been taken away from their home in Babylon. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah were prophesying, and they were talking about future events and things were going to happen. But they weren't prophesying so you would get caught up in the future events. The message was, God has something to say to you today. You need to fix your life today because of what's going to happen in the future. The problem is, folks used to get so caught up in the future events that they will miss the message. That's why the prophets had to keep coming back again and again and again. Get your life right today because something is coming. Do this today because something is coming. The problem, one of the problems when we read Revelation is we get so caught up on, oh, so when is this going to happen? And when is that going to happen? Oh, so this means that this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. And God is saying, John is saying, wait, 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 wait. I wrote this so you can hear the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's where our focus should be. What? Is God saying to us today? What is the testimony of Christ saying to us today? That's where the emphasis should be. That's where the focus should be as opposed to what's going to happen. Now, what's going to happen is important. What's going to happen is laid out. But the true benefit of prophecy is hearing what God says. What message is God delivering to his people today? That's the word of God. The testimony of Christ, the testimony of Christ has to do, you know, a testimony, I go to a court and I testify, I stand up, I'm on a witness, I'm giving a witness. We talk about the testimony of Christ, that's what he did, what he said, how he lived. This book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's going to reveal who Christ is and what Christ is actually doing. That's where the emphasis is. That's what, Paul, what John said he's focused on. And so as I'm studying Revelation, I don't want to get so caught up in the calculations 
I want to look at Revelation from the point of view, what is God saying, the word of God, and what is Jesus doing, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's what I need y'all to focus on. As we go through this book, as we get caught up in the visions, as we look at the numbers and the colors and the signs and the amazing things we're going to see, your first thought should be, okay, first, this is from the perspective of heaven. Your second thought should be, what is God saying with this and what is Jesus doing with this? That's how we read Revelation. How do you know that's true, Olu? Well, look at the next verse. It says, the one who reads this is blessed. Those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. Imagine you're, you're sitting in first century church, wherever you are, in, let's say in Ephesus. We're all in Ephesus right now. It's first century. The emperors are going crazy. They're killing Christians. And, and they say, hey, we got a letter from John. Oh, we're excited. We got a letter for John. John is the last apostle alive. All the rest of the cast is dead. He's the last one alive. Let's take this letter and see what he has to say to us. Just saw my parents die. Just lost my job. All this stuff is happening. As they start reading the letter, you immediately begin, okay, this is a little different than all the other letters. Paul sent a letter. It was pretty specific. And John sent some other letters. But this one, he's talking about dragons and beasts. And this is interesting. And you sit at the edge of your seat and you begin to listen. And what you begin to see is the revelation of what's going on. And you begin to interpret what's been happening in your life by what you're reading. And say, wait a minute. This is starting to make a little sense now. At the end of the service, you walk out. And as you're walking home, you're walking past the Roman architect. And you're walking past the Roman guards. And you begin to think, hmm, John's letter just described a vicious evil that was out trying to destroy us. But in John's letter, it said that God, Jesus, is still king, and Jesus is still on the throne. So even though I'm in the midst of this craziness, Jesus is still with me. They begin to see that. From that, they received the blessing. That's why John said, blessed are those who read, who listen, and who do what this says in this book. This book has some specific things that followers of Christ need to hear, need to read, and need to do. That word heed has to do as an old school word, but it means to hold on to. The prophecies, the instructions in this book, we need to grab on and hold on to. Why? Because they are able to give us grace and comfort and power and peace in the midst of whatever we're going through. Too often we see the things that happen to us and happen to others through, through the eyes of our, of our earthly eyes. We assess them from our human earthly perspective. We look at things that happen in the news and we assess them from our earthly perspective. We look at events that have happened to us in life and we assess them from our earthly perspective. I can't believe this happened to me. Why did this happen to me? I don't even understand it. That's not fair. Didn't happen to them. Now I got to go through this. Now I got to deal with this. And we assess all these things through our own earthly perspective. But when God speaks the word of God and when Jesus works the testimony of Jesus Christ, heaven's revelation is revealed to us. And so what happens is from the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, 
When God speaks, usually what he says goes against what we feel. Why? Well, we're coming from an earthly perspective, and God is coming from a heavenly perspective. He sees what's really going on. And so when God speaks, we open up the word of God, we read the word of God, we see what God says do. Sometimes it's like, ah, that's too hard. Oh, that don't make sense. Oh, I don't understand that. Why? Because we're still trying to look at it from our earthly point of view. When God speaks, what he says runs counter. It doesn't match our assessment. And because of that, it demands us to change. That's the hard part. That's the part. That's, that's the problem. When you read the word of God and you hear what God said, it demands us to change what I want to do. It demands us to change how I see things. And it forces us to realign ourselves to fit into God's plan. It forces us to realize. Why? Because we see this, and I want to do this, and I've got a plan, and I'm going through this pain, so I'm going to do this. God shows up and says, no, 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 no. You're looking at it from your perspective. Let me show you from my perspective. This is what you need to do. And we have to, ah, I've got to change my perspective. I've got to change what I do. I've got to change what I say. I've got to change what I feel. I've got to change how I operate. Why? Because God's in charge and not me. God, John's readers were living in a world where sin seemed normal and righteousness seemed strange. And the warning that Revelation gives is do not compromise. Do not allow how your view of the world to dictate how you live. See the word of God, what God says, and what Jesus is doing. And because of that, Revelation was sent to pull the curtain back. That's why John said, blessed are those who hear, read, and do what it says. You're blessed when you change your position. You're blessed when you realign your thoughts to what God says. You're blessed when you realign your actions to what God says. You're blessed when you realign your feelings to what God says. Well, I have these feelings. These feelings are real. Yes, they are. Don't let anyone invalidate your feelings. But what God said is make sure that your feelings align to what I say they should be. That's what revelation does. And when we do that, we are blessed. So as we look through this book, be impacted by what God is saying. Not only this book, but the entire Bible. Be shaped by the word of God. Make sure that your priorities align with the word of God. Make sure that your courage is aligned with the word of God. Make sure that your worship and your prayers align with the word of God. Why? Because the time is near. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension set something off. So we need to make sure that we are listening to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for pulling the curtain back so that we can see that there is a true enemy out there, Satan, whose job is to kill, destroy us. We thank you for pulling the curtain back and showing you, Father God, showing Jesus Christ as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, 
Even though here, from my perspective on earth, other things seem to be in charge and sin seems to be winning and, and the government seems to be in control and my feelings and the emotions and the bad things that have happened to me in the past and, and, and the current things that are happening now and my finance issues and my confusion, all those things seem to be in charge and I'm living in a life of confusion and frustration. But we thank you, Father, that you pull back the curtain and show that you are in charge and you didn't just leave us here in our mess, but you sent us a revelation. And you sent it through your word, and you sent it through the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that if we would just align our lives and look at it from your perspective, your heavenly perspective, Father God, you would give us the grace and the power and the strength and the comfort and the peace and the endurance that we need as we go through these things in life. Pray, Father God, that we will all alter our lives, reshape our lives to match what you have for us through your word and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.